Broadcasting from the Socialist Republic of New York. New York. There's plenty of money in this country. It's just in the wrong hands. The Moss Show. Politics, current events, and just a bit of Judaism. Two guys that are always right. Except when their wives tell them they're wrong. You're listening to The Moss Show. Hey everybody, this is The Moss Show with Nachman Mostovsky and my co-host Husky Moskowitz. How you doing, Husky? Thank God, Nachman. How you been? I've been doing good. Been doing good since last week. Uh, we got a lot of uh, feedback on Laura Loomer last week, and then we saw her again at the ZOA Gala in Manhattan, which was very nice. And uh, we had a very uh, interesting time with her at the ZOA Gala, especially because there ended up being some uh, interesting happenings at the ZOA Gala, um, which which actually fed very much into uh, our our talk last week with with Laura, and then and what we're going to be discussing this week, which is the Groipers. I think that's how it's pronounced. Uh, and we're going to get into that soon. It's been an interesting day, um, news that was breaking. Uh, Israel just pounded uh, multiple targets throughout Syria that were Iranian. So we want to say thank you very much to the Israeli Defense Force for doing what uh, it seems no other country, probably besides the United States, is willing to do, and that is to stand up to Iran. So um, that, that is, that's great, and it you know, just shows that a strong IDF makes it a lot cheaper. You know, It's an America-first policy that with a strong Israel in the region, we sort of don't have to clean up the garbage in that area. Pretty amazing if you think about it. And yet you have many people in this country, both on the fringes of the right and the left, who for some reason are like an ostrich with their head in the sand and are unwilling to recognize the various positive implications of a strong American-Israeli relationship in the region. And it's unfortunate because it hurts, I believe, national security. I mean, these are probably the same people that, like, during World War II would be like, no, we can't get together with England. America first. Like, yeah, no, you, mean, you, mean, you mean the people who said that we shouldn't get involved in the war? Those people? Well, it's not. Well, it happens to be funny. That's where America first comes from. The actual terminology, that was the original Donald Trump was a racist and anti-Semite because of the America first. But Reagan used it as well. I think so did Nixon. It, it's been a long-standing term in American politics, America first. But we actually, funny thing, Nachman, we were just actually talking about it at our company, how our firm is essentially an America first firm. Because every single project that we've taken on is actually a project that helps America um, succeed and thrive as a nation and produce innovation. And that essentially is what an America first policy is. When you talk about it from a non-racist perspective, at least. <laughs> right, of course. And what's what's interesting is at the ZOA gala, which was, you know, it was actually quite funny. It it happened right behind our seats where some lunatic, to be honest with you, how he got in there with a keyboard and a self-sustaining speaker system. I mean, it was quite shocking. It literally was blasted right behind our seats, <laughs> scared the living daylights out of me and my child and my wife. And I'm sure Chesky, your family that was sitting there as well. And the guy just started playing like very haphazardly. There was no song involved. It was like nationalism, white nationalism will rise, and the Palestinians are entitled to their own land. It was the strangest thing in the world. Um, How does this guy get into 
to this place. I That's to, what I want. Well, know. a lot of these galas. I mean, I I know our gala last year. A lot of the galas, the security at the front door sort of like disappears two hours into the event, and a lot of people know these things about these galas. That's when they try to get in. Now, I think the mm-hmm. idea behind that is is that as people leave, no one cares if people come and take those seats because they just fill the room back up. That's the concept. But there, I mean, when we had our gala, we still had security at the front desk. We may have not had check-in anymore, but there definitely were security, members of the security that were by the doors making sure that lunatics didn't get in. This guy slipped in, no one's sure how he got in. It could be that he was a member of the hotel staff. I have no idea. What I can tell you is, is that during during the gala as well, there was a time for everyone to, you know, send in to text message, a donation, and someone thought it was funny. Probably the same kid. It was probably the same guy. Nick Fuentes donated money, which was, you know, it was supposed to be a funny thing. It wasn't funny. Mo- most people was actually over their heads because most of the people that were in the room have no idea who Nick Fuentes is. So it was funny to like a few of us, but to everyone else, it was like, oh, that's nice. Some Nick Fuentes gave a donation. So they just made the Did Laura Loomer say anything about it? Yeah, Laura actually caught there was another name I didn't see that was caught and taken down. So they had somebody there taking the names down. AOC gave five dollars. That was funny. I think it was five bucks. So I think that was hilarious. But that's just funny. That's just politics funny. But it was Nick Fuentes and then somebody else from that group of these groipers which we're going to get into, and you got into it earlier in the week, and that's what I would like to start with. You actually did heavy research here, and I want to start with that, you know, before you can, you know, go and explain what's going on. That's for all those that don't know. The right-wing movement has for a long time had its issues with usurpers being anti-Semitic. So where anti-Semitism tends to be on the left, and the left can argue this till they're blue in the face, but the fact of the matter is, even if somebody was anti-Semitic on the right, on the American right, I honestly wouldn't have a problem with it because if an anti-Semite leaves me alone, then they're leaving me alone. It's the left that wants to use the government to, for- to force all sorts of unnatural, progressive, and I don't mean progressive as in the political sense, but progressive as in where their term comes from, that they want to they wanna force progress in human nature through the power of government. And that's Which the only type of anti make... that really bothers me. Yeah, and that would, by the way, like point home, the left would literally eradicate religion and religious freedoms if it will come in the face of their liberal progressive agenda. And that's honestly, for the broader Jewish community, that's a much greater threat than a random lone wolf shooter who shoots up a synagogue. Both are terrible and both are dangerous, but in the long term, what will make the Jewish community here in the United States unsustainable, at least in my opinion, in the near term, is a liberal progressive government that squashes religious freedoms. Because I have a very hard time believing that a right-wing uprising comes here to the United States in the form of systematic anti-Semitism towards the eradication of the Jewish race in the United States. I've, I, I could be wrong, because the German Jews didn't I, I, think I, it was possible either. I agree with you. And it's more than, it's more than just that. It's also the fact that, again, as I said, if somebody, a libertarian anti-Semite doesn't scare me because what, what are they going to do? Sit in their house and just be an anti-Semite? It's fine by me. I mean, I'd rather they not be an anti-Semite, but I don't fear a libertarian anti-Semite. I fear a progressive anti-Semite because the libertarian or the conservative anti-Semite 
the most he's going to do is yell at me, or, or, but, but he's going to leave me alone. Because in his political belief system, it's live and let live. He just doesn't want, you know, your, your conservative anti-Semite doesn't want his money going towards Israel. Okay, fine. That we can have a discussion whether, whether it's, it's nonsense or not. And we're going to have that discussion. But the problem that the right always had was that because the left decides and defines what the right is, because they, they control everything, right? They control the media. And they control, they control language in this country, for the most part. Anyone that says they're a right-winger, because, again, America's right and left, we discussed this before, the, the American right does not exist in Europe. So when someone says, oh, they're a left-winger, they're a right-winger in England, France, Spain, Germany, that does not have any effect on the right-wing in America. All wings in Europe are socialists. They're liberal socialists and national socialists. That's the right and left in Europe. In America, they all sit on the left. We have European, our European right. Never, never got over socialism. Correct, and and America has on its think of think of Europe is on a sliding scale. The American system is more like the letter H, where you have the center connecting two bars, and on the left side, on top, you have nationalized socialism and the bottom you have a liberal socialism which would be communism the top would be fascism and then on the right hand side you will have on top libertarianism and on the bottom bottom conservatism so that is the right in our country it's libertarianism to conservatism it's how much little government you want to have now you want to say that anarcho-capitalism may sit somewhere on the right too they're nuts, and they make up probably less than 1% of the population on the right. So we don't even need to bother with them. Well, what was um, that now, thing that you just said? Explain what that is. Anarcho-capitalism is a, is a capitalistic anarchy. It makes no sense when you try to plug people down that believe in it. And it's like, oh, well, everyone can have their own police force and their own fire department, and it's okay. And it, the whole thing is nonsense. It makes no sense. It literally – socialism makes more sense than anarcho-capitalism. Anarcho capitalism may make a lot of sense again on paper, but again, like everywhere on planet Earth, you need to involve humans. So once you have to involve humans and human interaction and society, all of these things fall apart. I always say that true libertarians and socialists live in the same land of make believe, they, they live in the same place. Human, human evolution of thought never applies to libertarians and socialists because they take human nature completely out of their system. So if you take human nature out of your system, then you don't have humans, in which case you're in the land of make-believe. I don't know where you are, um, but it's definitely not here on Earth. So here right, on Earth, sure. well, you, they, have, they, assume, they assume, both sides assume that human beings are inherently good. Correct. Well, libertarians don't assume that humans are inherently anything. They just say that everyone that government's not needed to make everybody get along. They just don't. There are problems. Maybe we could do another show on that. The similarities between true libertarianism and socialism, and where they actually meet in their complete lack of acknowledgement of human nature. For people that don't know, there was a meme going around Pepe the Frog. Now Pepe the Frog, whether it was anti-Semitic and racist in the beginning, it definitely became that. Now what happened was is this thing called the alt right. We've discussed it before. The alt-right ended up, it started out as, and this is a problem, it started out as what you would consider 
a bunch of younger people that were sick and tired, conservatives that were sick and tired of being beaten up after both Romney and McCain and after, you know, the Bushes. It was going to be this new form of younger conservatism. It was completely hijacked by a bunch of racists like Richard Spencer and others, and it got a very bad flavor, and it sort of went to the wayside. Then what happened is this new America First group, which calls themselves America Firsters, and they hijacked this Pepe the Frog sub meme, which was griper. And it started out as some, some guy basically took Pepe and made him about 300 pounds, and he called himself Big Dog Griper. So it was on 4chan, and it became this, they called, started calling themselves the Griper Army and Gripers. Now, these people are rabidly anti-Semitic, rabidly racist. For some reason, um, are they actually people on the right, right-wingers? Well, that, that's the question. They're definitely border hawks. They definitely, but, but again, so are, so is the KKK. Like, you have to understand that just because certain people align on, on one thing doesn't a right-winger make you. And for some reason, like Michelle Malkin is defending these people. I, I'm sorry. I've read every one of her books. I own them. I think I even have one or two of them signed. I love her writing. She's dead wrong here. Michelle Malkin has gone off the deep end if she thinks that someone like Nick Fuentes is someone to stick up for. And she's wrong. She's 100% wrong on this. And, she, and I really think that she needs to, needs to do some soul searching. It's this Nick Fuentes. You know, she, she calls it now conservative ink. She's using the old terms. You know, all the organizations that came out because of conservative ink, uh, like Turning Points USA, which basically was a response to yes, which was be considered. Now all the people that are getting tossed to the wayside, they're trying to say, well, now everybody's conservative ink. It's ridiculous. So it's become like basically anyone who doesn't support their agenda is automatically labeled conservative ink. And it's, pro- and it's very, very similar to a argumentative fallacy of circular logic because it's – the logic they're using, the reason why it's a fallacy is because what they're saying is we're conservatives. You're not letting our view into the conservative movement. So now you're not real conservatives. Because what we believe is real conservatism. Now, now that's circular logic because you're believing that what only what you believe is conservatism. So there's a little bit of an yeah, argument. Yeah, it's, it's, it's actually there. pretty. It's pretty messed up, actually. In fact, I would argue that they use very similar tactics on the left in this cancel culture. That like Co- if you're correct. not, if you're, and, if you're, and and if you're against you, me, something that. This is something that we tell people all the time. These are a lot of these young ones, young kids. They're 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 18, 19, 20 years old. Some of them are even younger. I mean, there's one that I think that's like 15 or 16 online that's got a big following, and they've read Solinsky. I know we we say this all the time. We say this to Congress members. You should not be hiring anyone on your staff that has not read Solinsky's Rules for Radicals. And there's a reason, yeah. because their playbook is there. So these gripers, you know, let's go back to, the, to these gripers. They basically, they basically go around and they bash Israel. One of the things they use is the old argument that Israel blew up a ship during, I think, the Six-Day War, was it? The, U- the USS Liberty the during the Six-Day War. War, I believe. Six-Day War. Yeah, so what yeah. happened was is there was a ship. There was a ship that was flying, I think, not American flags, if I'm not mistaken. It may have been Panamanian or, or it wasn't flying any flags. It was a spy ship. It was definitely a spy ship. And to this day, there are many Americans 
non-Jewish, that say that they were that that boat was actually spying on Israel. But that's not why Israel hit the ship. And Israel showed their data to the United States. The United States was was okay with their. And these were presidents that were not necessarily very nice. I think Carter was the one who actually was the one to forgive, quote unquote, that mishap of the Six Day War. But basically, the ship was in a territory that there were Syrian ships in, and 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 Egyptian Egypt, ships. Egyptian ships, and they assumed that it was an Egyptian ship, and therefore because of that, they they attacked they, they the ship. It. Now, yeah, they sunk it and. Unfortunately, several service members died, and it was a very embarrassing moment for the Israelis. They were mortified. But, but on the same token, the Israelis, if I'm not mistaken, Israel immediately, once they realized what happened, sent the ship to go save as many sailors as they can. So it was and not. On top of, and on top of that, they apologized right away. And they paid to... reparations to every family member. Yes, correct. Every family was okay. paid reparations. So, whereas Russia shoots our, our planes out of the sky and did all sorts of things during war. And, and remember, this is a war. This American ship Forget was in that. a war the, zone. How about the quote-unquote allies of the United States in present time, such as Japan, that no one seems to have any problem about our alliance with Japan, while in the meantime, the Japanese killed more Americans than any other country? In the history of, they, they, in the history they brought of the United States. I mean, if you're an America firster and you don't like to go to war, Japan is the single reason why we went into World War II. Correct. And more Americans and died these same in gripers, the These same gripers have no problems with Japan. So what happened was is these gropers, their big argument is they bring up the USS Liberty. They bring up the amount of money that we spend on Israel. So you decided, you decided, and I have the information here, you decided you were actually going to go and do the research. Something that We're a fun. Lot of it was not like kids, extensive, and I would love to well, do it in a more extensive manner. Well, I think you started out doing it for fun, but you came up with some very, very interesting data, and I, I'm going to read some of it here. Jews only make up, you know, for, for those that are listening that don't know, we're a very, very small percentage of the United States. We make up 2% of the United States po uh, population. But, you know, listen, uh, uh, you know, I'm not going to say that anti-Semitism, all, all all canards and, and stereotypes do have their basis in truth. Otherwise, they wouldn't be stereotypes. That, that's just a fact, right? Correct. So we do make up 25% of the 400 wealthiest Americans. Okay, so that, that's a fact. Now, again, what's interesting is we did this in under 100 years of living in this country. So for all the people that say that, you know, systemic, systemic racism, there is no people on planet Earth that has had more things done to them than the Jews. This is a fact. And the fact that we went from being decimated in Europe to becoming 25% of the 400 wealthiest Americans means that anybody can do it, okay? Correct. The top 1% of taxpayers pay roughly $538 billion, or 37.3% of all income tax. That means that 25% of that is $134.5 billion. That means Jews in the top 1% pay a hundred and thirty-four and a half billion dollars in taxes a year. Now, this does not include the Jews that make up the rest of the ninety-nine percent of the country, which right. I'm assuming we're at a very high rate in that as well. Okay, so yeah, for sure. Most I would say use, not most, but I would say a large percentage. But I'm willing to bet we're well over two hundred billion. I think it's fair to say that. I think that, like, if you think about how much taxes Jews in the Jewish community pay. I'm saying most Jewish families 
not I, I, want, I want to say a majority, but many, sorry, many Jewish families do exist in that highest to second highest tier of tax paying dollars. Right. Once you, I think once you go to like the top 15 or 20 or 35 or even 49%, right? Once you go to, because 51% of the country doesn't pay taxes federally. Right. Um, it's like 40, 40, 40 something percent. I didn't get money back. I mean, it's, it's not even, this is not, Romney got in a lot of trouble for this, but this is a statistical fact from Obama's IRS. So Correct. I think it was like 51 point something percent. So it's, it's higher than 51%. So let's take the top 40%. I'm willing to bet Jews are in there a, a pretty high number. So let's, we're going to use the 134 and a half billion, just that number. We're not, we're going to ignore the other 70 billion that's probably in there somewhere. Food Correct. stamps cost the U.S. government around $70 billion a year. At $134.5 billion, Jews are paying for the entire food stamps and then 10% of all Medicaid. Now, pretty wild. Let's just, <laughs> right, if we just, and then we still have more than that left over, of which we could take 3.8 and give that to Israel. So let's just say Americans aren't paying anything to Israel. The Jewish American taxpayers are. Now, you want to save that money anyways? would go towards the American government? That's a valid argument. But don't make believe like there are not, that all this money is going to Israel. It's 3.8 billion, okay? 3.8 billion. Now, being that whites are the ones receiving the largest share of both programs, you would think that the gripers on welfare programs, because a lot of them are, a lot of them talk about how they're on welfare and how it's not fair that they, that they don't get uh, enough to live on while money goes to Israel. So that, we're making this argument because they admit, many of them admit to being on welfare. That's why these people are not right-wingers. They're just anti-Semites and, and racist because they hate blacks and Hispanics too. You would say that Jewish taxpayers, you, you said you would think they would say thank you. Now, what you, also, what you also brought up, and I don't have it in front of me, was the amounts that we spend on Japan, on Korea, in England, in Germany. We still have troops sitting in Germany. That wall came down in 1991. Why, why do we still have troops in Germany? Why do we still have troops in Japan? Why do we still have troops in Korea? And in all these other countries throughout Europe, France, Spain, there are American bases on these countries. Full of, there's not one Amer The only time American soldiers step foot in Israel is for inter-military maneuvers. And if they're on their way from Egypt or Jordan... And a lot of them just want to stop in Israel because they're religious and they want to go see the Holy Land. You don't see American soldiers in Israel anywhere. I think we were in the Israeli embassy. I didn't see any Marines. The Marines that I saw were in, were in, were in plain clothes. So it's not like these other bases where you see Marines in their uniforms at the gate. Israel, it's, it's, there's no American military presence there. We give them $3.8 billion, of which $3.7 something billion is spent here in the United States. A very small percentage of it stays in Israel. 70%, so, Nachman, 70% of the aid is mandated to be spent back here in the United States. But it's more the, than that. That's, that's because of military. Wait, 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 let me but finish. Israel let me on finish. their own. And then the Memorandum of Understanding with the Obama administration, who actually was the one who authorized this aid. So if you right. think about it this way, just on that, Obama was one of the least pro-Israel presidents in this country's history. The reason why uh, he did. him and Carter. If, but if you do, but if you do do the numbers right, and try to rationalize. Yeah, you know what? I'm gonna be. I'm gonna take that back. Obama was the more was the more anti-Israel president. Carter was the biggest bigger anti-Semite. I don't think Obama was as much an anti-Semite as he just 
hated colonialism, and saw Israel as a colonial power. Um, yeah, no, he bought into Carter's the whole liberal progressive thing. That's right. fine. And back but, then, when Carter you... and back then when Carter was president, the Democrats were more pro-Israel probably than the Republicans. Yeah, I mean, you had Scoop Jackson Democrats in those days that were very, very pro-Israel. Okay, so if you have Obama, right, who was giving aid to Israel, I'm willing to bet the reason why he supplied that aid was not because of the lobbying efforts of AIPAC or because of J Street's love for the state of Israel, who had a love affair, as you know, with the, the Obama administration. Rather, I'd say... AIPAC, AIPAC I'd did. Yeah, AIPAC did. I, I, mean, uh, I would suggest that it was because of the military-industrial complex that wanted to continue that gravy train to... Correct. To Correct. ensure... But and therefore, that, the... But the, now, it happens to be, you know, and we've talked about this before, one of the reasons why you see very few American cars is because Israel has an insane tariff that the Europeans sw- and, the, and the Asians swallow that tariff to bring their cars in, and America's not interested in swallowing the tariff. Um, we've actually asked people in the administration to see what they can do to um, maybe uh, move the Knesset into m- removing the tariff from the United States. And that's one of the things that we try to promote when we go to D.C. And, and, and we actually said maybe it's time to start tariffing some of the products from Israel to get that, to, to even that playing field, because everyone that goes to Israel, you speak to any Israeli. And we have like a, we have like a car, eight, I think it's like an eight billion uh, trade deficit with Israel. So it's it's the the, <laughs> the disparity from Israel to America is not. It, it's very hard to quantify where the numbers come from, uh-huh. because right off the bat they're, they're spending three point six billion dollars just on on weaponry in the United States. Right. We don't buy anything from Israel as far as weapons go. I think we do buy now some missiles. We buy the, um, but they're made here though. But the Iron Dome, America now deploys the Iron Dome, even though it's, it's Israeli technology. So for all, those, for all those America firsters, if I'm not mistaken, there's an Iron Dome battery on the roof of the White House. And, at other, and in other places. Uh, it was a news story once that by, by, the end of, by, the end of tw- by, by 2019, there was going to be a version of it on the roof of the White House in Iron Dome. Wow. So, I mean, 2019 is almost over. I'm, I'm, assuming, uh, I'm assuming, you know, it, I mean, it, it, fiscal year is pretty much over. I'm assuming that if it's 2019, it's either being built or it, it's up there already. I have no idea. This was an article like two years ago, and that America was deploying it on, it, I guess, like in Afghanistan, Iraq, wherever they are. They're going to be deploying these things. America's using them. So one of these things where Israel and America is a two-way street. We've talked about it before, air conditioning in the tanks. A lot of the stealth technology that the planes use comes from Israel. There's, 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 not to mention the, the drones. Drones were invented. People don't know. Military drones were invented in Israel. You go to any state house when, they are, when their state military is asking for funding, and there will be an Israeli company there trying to sell drones. The drones are Israeli-made. So for all those America firsters that want drones on the border, every single one of them is Israeli. Drones are made by Israel. They are the technology <laughs> at least most of the, pro- the oh, At least most of the proprietary technologies Correct. that are Because that are the proprietary technology in Israel and America have trade agreements, so they can't, they can't, it's not like a Grumman can go and just copy it. It would be, a, it would be a, a, an infringement on the, on the on intellectual property. So a lot of this technology is Israeli. So not to mention, by the way, that a lot of the security on, on this wall that Trump is building comes from the trial and error of Israel's border wall. The president has said this many times. Nikki Haley said this. 
uh, it, it's been it's been said. I, I think I think the vice president has said this. Not to mention Senator Ted Cruz, and I think even Rand Paul had mentioned that once. How walls work. Look at Israel. There's a reason why America and Israel, and again, Western culture. We call it Judeo-Christian. That term actually has a earlier definition. If you go and you read Locke and Burke and the rest of the Enlightenment and, and the others of that era, you know, there's, there's arguments now on the right of who's considered in the Enlightenment and who's, who's from the other groups of, of thinkers at the time. But everyone agrees there was two cities, Jerusalem and Athens. That is the Judeo-Christian value system that the West was built on, Jerusalem, the Jews, and Athens, the Greeks, the Romans. So that's, that's another that point, by the way. But that's another point. It's why point we use the name Holiday Zion for our organization. Is because we are the ones that are promoting the Jerusalem of the Judeo-Christian Western culture. But, that, but to, to be honest, Nachman, that is exactly the problem that you have this reality on the ground where these gripers or gropers or whatever you want to – gripers, whatever you want to call them, they are frustrated with the reality they, – they, with, with the quote-unquote lack of religious liberty in this country, and they feel as if the Catholic man is under attack. I don't know if you've noticed I, that, I, right? I understand that. I understand that, yes. And they go – and then when they go to these events, they hold the crosses in their hands – and stuff like and with the rosary, it's the strangest thing in the world. Because how many Christians do we meet, Husky, on, on a given? I mean, we're, I've we're met and I've met many Catholics, and they I met many Catholics. I was with I've Catholics today any. in Bay Ridge. None of them were carrying a, a rosary with a cross. Listen, there's obviously a lot that of Catholics do. involved. Now, this Gripers thing is not a new thing. It, it's over two years old. But it, they, what happened was is these. What happened was is when they realized that the alt-right was no longer usable, they needed a, a new name, the America Firsters. And America Firsters are these groipers, and they're using this thing. Now, you also dug up, which was interesting, was let's say you don't even want to talk about the American, the Jew, American Jewish taxpayer in the amount that they give. So, so we basically already know that $3.8 billion goes to Israel. And American Jews of just the one percent pay 134 billion. So we're talking right. about we're talking 110 percent, about 109, 108 percent. The American the American government gets 108 percent more from American Jews than American Jews in theory from their tax money it goes to Israel, right? Right. Because 2.8 to 130, 34.5, it's about I'm just ruffling in my head. It, it's somewhere in that ballpark, right? But let's talk about charity. After we're done giving taxes, right? Most now, Jews, including secular is, Jews. I, I just want to say something. Something that this study does not do because it's from Salon. So this is a left-wing news source, right? Left-wing news source. We try to source from left-wing uh, when we can because sourcing on our own side doesn't, doesn't really help. The, the amount of the, the, the America's Jewish, the, the name of the article, you can look it up on Salon, December 6th. 16th, 2017. It's titled America's Jewish Community Leads in Per Capita Giving. And it's basically an article that discusses the amounts of charity, the reasons for that charity, and where that charity goes in American society at large. 
And what's interesting is, is the fact that Republicans tend to give a lot more charity than Democrats do. Now, this comes from a New York Times article, okay? And it says that it's not even, it, it's not, it's not even close. And that counties that are overwhelmingly Republican report higher charitable contributions than Democrat-dominated. This article goes on, the New York Times article goes on to, you know, they try to bl- blame it on the fact that in blue areas taxes are higher. It's not... No, it has to do with religious affiliation, I think. Correct, it does. It has more to do, it's sort of like uh, eating ice cream causes murder. Why? Because if you look, the same time that people eat ice cream, there's also, they're also murdering people. It's because both happen in the summer. It has to do with the fact that Republicans are more religious, and that's what this, this article sort of talks about that. Now, what's interesting is, is by Jews, you do see that Democrats still give, because one of the few things that irreligious Jews and non-religious Jews and even progressive you know, we've talked about it before. The Tikkun Olam Jews. Um, mm-hmm. I don't even call them Reform and Conservative Jews anymore. I just call them Tikkun Olam Jews because they're really they're their own thing now. Um, they have no. They have no. We were just having that conversation, to, Nachman, with that um, that um, originally Reformed Jew, who literally correct. Didn't, doesn't feel comfortable in his own party. Correct. In his own in his own uh, section of religion. And, and, and yeah. he actually goes to one of the few reform temples that actually has a conservative Republican rabbi. Correct. But even he, in, his, in, in the literature that they get, the magazines, the newspapers, the other, you know, with the programs they do with other reform temples, they, he sees it. And, and um, what's interesting is, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, I highlighted some parts of this. I want to read it. It starts off, why do American Jews give more charity than just about any other ethnic or religious group in America? primarily because it is ingrained in their traditions of charity, or tzedakah, according to Hannah Scholl Barnesim. Okay, now, the article continues. She studied the community philanthropy, uh, and um, she said, most Jews, regardless of their economic status, heed their religious and cultural obligations to give. 60% of Jewish households earnings less, earning less than $50,000 a year donate compared with 46% of non-Jewish households in that income bracket. So think about that. We're talking about a 14% increase of charitable givings, okay, in people that make less than $50,000 a year. Most of these people are probably giving, most of these people are probably giving in the 10% of their income range. As is the common Correct. practice. Now, now, what's interesting is this is just saying donate. They're not saying the percentages that they donate. And I'm willing to bet you that the percentages are higher too. All right? Mm-hmm. Um, the only other religious group that you might see similar givings is with the Mormons because they tithe as well. Tithing is very important in both communities. She continues to say that 76% in 2012 compared with 63% of Americans, and that is the overall uh, percentage. So it's 70% of households that are Jewish give as opposed to 63% of Americans. Now, this is where it gets interesting, okay? And while Jews, like other Americans, give to religious institutions, they give relatively less to religion and more to secular causes. So majority of this charity 
basically, the, and I'm willing to bet you, if you broke it down, the Orthodox Jews tend to give to religious charities, and it's the non-Orthodox Jews that tend to be wealthier. Think of the right. Jewish millionaires and billionaires that you can think of are not religious. Well, Soros, Bloomberg, the, the entire Hollywood that's Jewish, none of them are religious. Um, the only the only Jewish person I know that's religious in Hollywood is the kid that played um, the young Batman in in the TV series. He's, oh, uh, he actually series, is Orthodox, he's Orthodox, right? Yes, he's a Syrian. Yeah, he went to uh, the, uh, yeshiva. He's, he's actually he's still Shomer Shabbos. He's still Shabbos. Yes, they have kosher food for him. He does not much Shabbos and, and, and the holidays. Absolutely, as far as I know, he is absolutely religious. Now I don't know if things wow. changed since he's been on the show. I don't know, but it was a big deal when he was. And he, can, and he even continued going to school. That was wow. like part of the deal. They film at night. They film on Sundays. I, I don't know the whole deal. But, but we get sidetracked, okay? Now, it continues going, so who benefits the most from this largesse? The study looked at the giving patterns of North American Jewish grant-making institutions, including almost 150 Jewish federations, along with thousands of Jewish community foundations, family and corporate foundations, and donor-advised funds. Many of, many of them give more to non-Jewish causes than to Jewish ones, the study found, an average of 75% of the money backing non-Jewish causes. It amounts to more than $9 billion every year flowing to social, welfare, educational, health, research, science, advocacy, art, cultural, and environmental causes, including Tens of thousands of local and international nonprofits serving the wide range of ethnic and religious communities in the U.S., Israel, and elsewhere. The study also analyzed the giving patterns of the 33 Jews who made up the 2016 Forbes 400 list in the richest Americans, concluding that an average of only 11% of the giving through their foundations backed exclusively Jewish causes. Instead, contributions mainly supported secular ones. And they list, you know, Stephen Schwartzman's $150 million to Yale, David Geffen's uh, to Los Angeles County Museum of Art, $142 million given by George Kayser to the Tulsa River Parks Authority. So we're talking about, we're talking about, let's just say, Jews were to say, you know what, we're going to stop donating. The $9 billion we give to charity, we'll make it 6 we'll make it 5 we'll give the 4 to Israel, and now you guys are all on your own. You can go make your own museums. You guys can all go make your own parks. You guys can all clean your own rivers. You guys can all, you know, do whatever it is. Your fire departments, your police departments, all this stuff that, that Google, the, the CEO, CEO of Google, Michael Bloomberg, all his charity. All his, I may not agree with them politically, but they give a lot. All that money goes to Planned Parenthood. None of it's being given anymore. It's all going to go to Israel. Is that, is that what these gripers want? Because... Let's call a spade a spade. Jews overwhelmingly hit way above their weight class in this country. Their anti-Semitism doesn't even make sense. You know, in Europe, you can say some of it made sense. Maybe we didn't, you know, outside of banking, Jews really didn't do much in Europe. <laughs> we weren't allowed to. It was religious persecution. We weren't allowed to. We weren't allowed to own land. We weren't allowed to own businesses. It was a very, very non-understood culture for Americans today to understand the way Jews lived in Europe. But in America, where we've had the freedom and the, and the liberty, thanks to our military and our police and our first responders and the way they keep the civil society running in the United States and protecting our core belief system, beliefs that Americans have, that unfortunately Americans are starting to forget, you know, the, the, the amendments that are protected by 
our government, the amendments that are given by God, these, these rights that are given by God that are protected by our government, that's what, that's what they're supposed to do, has allowed us to flourish, and we give back. We're not a people that don't give back. It's not in our ethos. The Jewish ethos is to give back. Misery is considered an abhorrent thing. As a matter of fact, in Jewish culture, if someone is a miser, he is put in excommunication. Someone who is wealthy, who does not give, is excommunicated from the Jewish community. He cannot be called up to Bible reading. He cannot be given any ceremonial. Um, Nachman, you got to stop. The people that listen to our show are going to think that you're part of this Jewish conspiracy to convince the poor Guyan that we're, 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 we're trying to manipulate them to believe that Jews are not misers. Just have to stop. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. So, so I'm sorry about that. So, um, so this idea that $3.9 billion are going to Israel, the entire thing makes no sense. The argument is idiotic. The problem is, and I'm going to be honest with you, I only hear of these arguments coming from our organization. No one is making intellectual arguments in the opposite direction. We like APAC. They do some good work. I think their response to the president recognizing the fact that settlements are not illegal in Israel was abhorrent. And I think we need to be called out on that. We were, we were the first ones to call them out on that. I, I wrote courageous, and you, I, you went on, a, on against them. I, I think what APAC did when Netanyahu said they were going to recognize the Jordan Valley, I think their very tepid response to the Golan Heights, I think APAC had some major problems in their organization because they're trying to be bipartisan. We had, I had this discussion with members of, you know, of people at the NRA, and I asked them, you know, back in the 70s and 80s, the NRA used to give A-pluses to Democrats. They give a few here and there, A-minuses, B-pluses, but it's, it's almost, it's not existent anymore. I said, when did you guys basically become, you know, all in on the Republican Party? They said, we, we never did. They, the Democrats just abandoned us. They abandoned the Second Amendment. At some point, Somebody at APAC is going to have to realize Democrats completely abandoned Israel. The fact that Chuck Schumer, somebody who actually spoke out against J Street years ago, was able to be the, the, one of the big speakers at J Street now shows you that, that APAC is losing their grip on reality. And they need a yeah. – someone needs to start – these arguments that, oh, we're all right, we need to fight. See, conservatives are racist. No. These are a bunch of kids that don't know anything about conservatism, number one. They believe in socialism because they believe in welfare. The second you believe in welfare, sorry, people tell me, oh, yeah, I'm a conservative too. I'm more conservative than you, they ask me. And they tell me. I go, okay. I go, let's just go down, let's just go down the, you know, let's go down the line. What welfare would you get rid of? And they go, well, you're the I said, I get rid of all of it. <laughs> and they look at me, really? I go, yeah. But the states take care of it. The federal government has no business being in the welfare industry. Yeah. So I say, it's, um, it's what, what, part, what parts of the federal government do you want to get rid of? I said, well, I would start with the FDA. I would then start go 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 to the Department of Agriculture. I mean, all these departments—they have absolutely no business to be in existence. They they so, don't they so don't. The they idea don't. that people understand what conservatism means—they don't. They assume everybody that was against Obama and likes Trump is a conservative. That that's not true. Conservatives have a value system: less government, and it's the only, the, the, the most limited government you can have to keep society going. We don't need an FDA. We don't need one. The states can take care of it. And if the states felt like they can't, guess what they can do? They can amend the Constitution. We have a way to do this. I'm not against an FDA existing. I'm, exe I'm, I'm against it being existing 
through fiat. Let the states get together and decide they want to do it. They, they're able to make lawyers and doctors, right? Why can't they make medicine? They're able to put labels on milk and all sorts of other products. The state of California slaps on labels all over the place. Everything causes cancer in California. Everything causes cancer in California. I don't know if you ever noticed that. Everything causes cancer in California. From go-karts to plastic bottles to wrappers to bibs and diapers. It's the most amazing thing. Everything has a little label. Go look. The next time you have plastic, anything that's plastic or has fumes, was found in California to cause cancer. The state of California figured out how to do something. So this idea that you need a fe the federal government to do everything is nonsense. That's a conservative. A bunch of kids getting up holding crosses, yelling at turning points, and yelling at Yaf, and yelling at Don Jr., and, and all these other, at Ben Shapiro, makes not a conservative. Because when you go and you yeah. ask these kids what they believe in, they believe in welfare. They just don't believe in welfare to black and Hispanic people. And they hate Jews. That's it. So they're not conservative. Right. They're not even on the right. They're left-wingers. They're just racist left-wingers. They're just not progressives. See, that's the thing. The problem is when the progressives took over the left, they kicked out the liberal anti-Semites. That's what happened. The liberal anti-Semites needed a home. So they like, they like, and these people hate Trump too, because look what they were screaming at Don Jr. These same gripers were screaming at Don Jr. Tons of stuff. Yeah, it's, it's By the disturbing. By the way, guess what? Guess, guess, people should know this about Don Jr. He's probably the only true, actual conservative in the family. Maybe Eric. No, I, Eric's not very public on his politics. But when, they may be Republicans, the Trumps, but a true diehard conservative. I'm in the middle of reading Don's book right now. The guy is a real conservative. It's not just hunting. He, he believes in limited government. He believes in, in, in getting people off of welfare, onto work. I mean, the guy is a real and understands conservatism. You know, I always say Donald Trump, the president, I don't think he's a conservative. I think he's a natural conservative, meaning... His, his own thought process lines up on the conservative spectrum. But to be honest with you, I don't think he's ever read conservative theory in government and policy. He was a businessman. He had no business doing it. I just think that because he's a capitalist, he understands inherently the same things that created the theory of conservatism because most of it's based on capitalism. Yeah. So they're aligning but not due to theory, more, more instinct. He's instinctually, he's instinctually a conservative, whereas Don Jr., I think, actually is a real conservative. And that's, that's the Trump that you're attacking? Really? It, it, it just shows they're not conservative. No. They, they, they attack Mark Levin. They attack Ben Shapiro. They attack Glenn Beck. They attack Turning Point. They attack Yes. They attack... So who, who are they not attacking that's conservative? Nick Fuentes, a 22-year-old nobody that no one's ever heard of until six months ago, who's a racist, a bigot, a homophobe. It, the whole thing is nonsense. So we decided we were going to do a show. We were not going to have any guests. We wanted to, planning on having, we wanted, to, we wanted to do one show that explained what this was. Because we are going to do another show in the next few weeks that is going to, from, from, we're going to have an evangelical on, God willing, that is going to explain from a Christian point of view.
why the gripers have absolutely no basis. But we wanted to first explain where, just from a fiscal point of view, these people are imbeciles. They, they, they can't do basic math. It's absolutely wild. I mean, Chesky, yeah. what, what, it, I mean they, they, they're even using, an, they're even, they even hijacked an old meme. Their entire thing is, is they, they hijack. That's what they do. It's Sorolinsky. No? Yeah, they're very, yeah, they're definitely I I've I've already said this a while. I believe that they are being they are being fueled by funding that is uh, not helpful to the cause and is trying to cause discord. But at the same time I heard that there are those who say say that it's actually crowdfunded. So like to me that's like very weird. <laughs> Well, I mean, there are there are people out there. I mean, I, I know we know people that are actually doing real research on this, but supposedly some of this funding is coming from some very very far left sources, and there is no proof that any of these kids that are lining up are actually even gripers. Some of them may actually be left wing instigators that are just trying to get this stuff on video. Meaning, in theory, if I was someone from Students for the Justice of Palestine. And I wanted to get up and go, oh, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, la, 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 la. And the other thing, other stupidities that they, that, they, um, that they chant at these Turning Point and Yaf and, and other speakers that come uh, and they scream. Well, I could probably do a lot more damage is after all those people get kicked out, I wait quietly. And I have my cross in my hand and I walk up to the microphone and I start saying things that make me sound conservative, like, Thank you so much for your service. That was what one of them said, because there was a Marine. Um, I think Turning Points has, it's, I think, a gay black Marine, I think he was, or an Army. Something, something Thank you like for your that, service. Yeah. And the whole place claps. And then he goes, how come you don't speak out against the USS Liberty? That was his second question. That is an absolute Saul Alinsky tactic. I think it's, it's one of his rules. Make the enemy number four. Make the enemy live up to its own book of rules. So you're, you're claiming to be America first. You're claiming to love the military. Well, here you go. The USS Liberty was blown up by Israel, and they keep the pressure on because they tend to line up one after the other. They know what they're doing. They keep the pressure on. Rule number eight is also number 11. If you push a negative hard and deep enough, it will break through into its counterside. And that is the one that they want. And that is the one which, unfortunately, we're starting to see with some of these younger conservatives where they keep on pushing this negative, that Israel is evil Israel is bad, the Jews are bad, Mexicans are bad, and blacks are bad, and gays are bad, right? And, they're, and, they're, and number 13, they pick the target, freeze it, personalize it, and polarize it. They're coming after your jobs. They're taking away your tax money. They're taking away your property. They're killing and raping your kids and your wives. This is the stuff that Nick Fuentes and his group of gripers is doing. This is Saul Alinsky tactics, which is why a lot of people believe that some of these people may actually be using the Groypers as a smokescreen to try to inherently destroy the right. But we are, we are going to be fighting back. We are going to be working with our partners in these Jewish organizations. We're going to be at turning points. Chesky is going to be the rabbi for the event, for the uh, Shabbos that we're going to have there. It's in mid-December. Anyone, any student that's listening that wants to go, it's in Florida. It's a really great event. Charlie Kirk and Turning Point, they put on great, great events. I think everyone should go. Join your chapters if you're in college. Same goes for Yaf. Uh, join those chapters in well, as well. And the young Republicans and college Republicans, join as many of these as you can. Try to help out because it's the only way. And, don't, and you have to use logic 
fact-based arguments, arguments that are based in fact. If you need help, reach out to us. We're on social media, both Chesky and I. We are always open to helping out through WhatsApp, Twitter, Facebook, and just reach out to us. And we hope to hear you guys coming up in the future. And Chesky, anything you want to leave us with? Yeah, I think that the most important thing is that people need to look at these people and try to discern for themselves do they identify with comparing Jews to cookies and ovens of gas chambers to ovens that bake cookies, which is something that Nick Fuentes did. It's a very hard By thing the way, to that's use. like another argument that was absolutely ridiculous. I, I, we were wrapping up here, but think about it. He said, well, you can't, if you're going to bake cookies in an oven, and he started using math, does he realize that these were buildings? They weren't, he thinks they were sticking Jews like in like, your typical kitchen oven. The kid's an idiot. These were rooms that hundreds of people were killed at once in. Seven minutes. That's all it took. Seven to nine minutes, I think. They killed three, four, five hundred people at a time. And they He's were systematic crazy. about it. Yeah. They would bury they were burying Jews alive. This 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 this, this is the entire thing. The, the, the guy's an idiot. He knows nothing about history. So, so I mean, uh, we, you know, we hope to hear from you. We're gonna have we're gonna have on somebody who's really knows about this from a Christian perspective, and he's gonna go through how these people try to wrap themselves up in Christianity and how even that is incorrect. And um, again, we hope to you know tell your friends about the show. We're we're off to a very good start, and um, we're, so we're gonna wrap up. And we hope to see you next week on the Ma Show. Have a good night. You've been listening to the Ma Show. Broadcasted from the Socialist Republic of New York. But please, don't tell our governor he asked us to leave. They have no place in the state of New York. Tune in again next week, Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. Or go to J-Tribe Radio to listen to the podcast anytime on Play, iTunes, and Stitcher.